Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, I sit down with West Virginia gubernatorial candidate Stephen Smith. Stephen Smith is at the core of a people-powered political and social movement in West Virginia, which is seeking to overtake the state's government from the hands of what they describe as the good old boys club that has long controlled the state's political might. What sets Mr. Smith apart from conventional political candidates, though, is his championing of a statewide organized opposition movement, dubbed West Virginia Can't Wait. The movement has organized more than 50 races around the state, under one banner and one clear message, to spread the levers of power equitably amongst the state's residents. During our conversation earlier this week at my loft here in Providence, Mr. Smith described many of the mechanical and practical elements that have allowed for the West Virginia Can't Wait movement to develop and experience significant momentum. What can Rhode Island and other small to mid-sized states and regions learn from Mr. Smith's campaign and the West Virginia Can't Wait movement? And now that an infrastructure has been created, what are the key steps it will take to build a broad, nonpartisan, and nimble base of support to turn out on Election Day? Enjoy new episodes of the Bartholomew Town Podcast every Tuesday and Friday. Listen on your favorite app or visit BartholomewTown.com. It's where you'll find the dozens of conversations I've had with influencers like Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Congressman David Cicilline, WJAR's Parker Gavigan. Rhode Island Now's Hillary Levy-Friedman, URI's Maureen Moakley, Joe Trillo, Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza. It's all right there for you at BartholomewTown.com. Coming up this June, it's Bartholomew Town Live at PVD Fest. I'll have a live podcast and variety show for you in the heart of downtown Providence. We're going to be rolling out the details very soon. But for now, visit PVDFest.com for complete info on this spectacular festival now entering its fifth season. It's one of my favorite days of the year on the Providence calendar and thrilled to have been awarded a producer's grant for this year's festival. So stay tuned for details. Visit pvdfest.com for festival info. All right, let's take you straight to my conversation with West Virginia gubernatorial candidate Stephen Smith. Let's get right into the West Virginia can't wait concept because Rhode Island can't wait either. But you figured out a way to articulate it and make it into, uh, as your website describes, not so much a campaign, but a movement. Yeah, so we actually think that never in American history, uh, never in West Virginia history, has one person achieved the kind of change we desperately need. It has always happened uh, only when there is a movement behind it. So uh, whether it's our website or our Facebook presence, um, everything we do comes back to how are we building a movement that can take power away from the folks who have been using it to hurt us um, and put it in the hands of everyday people? And one piece of that puzzle is uh, I'm running for governor, but we have more than 50 candidates adding more each week. Uh, we're building uh, county-level infrastructure in all 55 counties. Uh, we're building constituency infrastructure, so veterans organizing veterans, students organizing students, and 35 other constituency teams. And none of those is veterans for Smith or students for Smith. It's veterans can't wait because we think veterans and students and Muslims and LGBTQ community and uh, seniors 
uh, all deserve to have real power in government regardless of who the governor is. Absolutely. And this is a gubernatorial race that's in 2020. So West Virginia is slightly larger than Rhode Island. So I would imagine that the organizing process uh, or, you know, it's similar into other New England states, I suppose. But talk about the infrastructure, I guess, of just building an organization throughout West Virginia. Sure. Uh, So, yeah, it it takes uh, a solid six hours or so to get from one end of West Virginia to the other. So geographically, we're very spread out, uh, but there's only 1.8 million people. Uh, And we actually think that it's places like West Virginia, places like Rhode Island, small states where the biggest change can happen because there aren't the same uh, huge national forces at play uh, and because our states, um, especially a place like West Virginia, uh, has so obviously been discarded by the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, And so um, it's in a state like that that is forgotten that the national media doesn't care that much about uh, and that has been left behind by both parties that uh, building an infrastructure becomes uh, a fun, exciting thing to do because in so many counties in West Virginia, uh, there's nobody representing your voice. And uh, there's certainly no one who's inviting you into the political process. So right now we are 42 town halls. Uh, We've done 42 town halls in 42 of the 55 counties. Uh, We do uh, a full day in each county. So we start, we, we show up, Uh, We meet with local labor leaders. We meet with people in recovery. We meet with uh, folks in uh, homeless shelters and on work sites. And then in the evening, we do a town hall. Anyone can come. We're averaging more than 50 people a night in rural West Virginia. And then after the town hall, we said, you know, we got all these people. This is a campaign we're building together. After each town hall, what if we made it so that uh, anyone who wants to stay involved in a serious way can stay afterwards uh, and uh, and we'll build them into the fabric of the campaign? We're hoping we might get three or four people after each meeting. We're averaging 20 sticking around and saying, okay, I'm going to talk to these people over here and I want to make sure this veterans community or we spent a lot of time in this part of the county today. How do we bring this other part of the county in? And those groups are now having their own monthly meetings without me there or any of our staff there. And so um, only in an environment where political parties are failing badly and the economy is failing people badly do people finally just say, enough is enough. We're already taking care of ourselves and our neighborhoods. Um, We might as well take over our government too. How much of this is apolitical and and what are the – you know, what's kind of the spread, if you will, of people within the movement, politically speaking, for in terms of within, you know, the, the left part of the spectrum, or is it does it extend across to the right at all? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you think politics is. So uh, right now, I think what you're saying is, you know, how many of the people in our movement um, buy into this idea that politics is a game between left and right and Democratic, Republican, and we're scoring points in this game. Um, We actually don't think that's what politics is. And that um, when we buy into that, uh, we buy into a system that favors um, winning and being clever over things like who gets to eat and who gets medicine, um, who gets uh, access to substance use disorder recovery. Uh, And so I would say everything we're doing is political, uh, but it's political in the sense that what politics should be uh, is 
all of us coming together and figuring out how we make sure that everyone, no matter who you are, um, gets to live with dignity. That's what we think the the project of politics is. So in that sense, it's all political Um, in the sense of uh, are there people in our campaign um, who are sort of part of the political establishment? Sure. Um, We have Democrats. We have Republicans. uh, We have a lot of independents. We're running on the Democratic ticket, though. And the opportunity when it comes to party politics, because it's a party system, um, is – We want there to be, in America, in West Virginia, one party that is always on the side of the people who are working the hardest and who are hurting the most. Going back to the roots. And the Democratic Party in West Virginia has not lived up to that. And the Democratic Party in the country has not lived up to that. Um, It can if we take it back, if we uh, bring enough new people back off of the sidelines uh, into politics, then uh, we can and should and deserve to have a party that every single time stands on the side of and is led by the people who are working hardest and hurting most. It's the classic, you know, haves and have nots conversation in a lot of ways, except for that's also a distorted way to think about it because you have everything you need as a person in a lot of ways. You know, you can make a lot happen. Don't be dissuade by the semantics, I suppose. Yeah, well, and there's plenty of wealth. I mean, this is the biggest lie that's told uh, in West Virginia is that we are a poor state. Uh, it's actually not true. This is the wealthiest time in West Virginia history. Uh, our problem is that uh, we have permitted those in charge, uh, out-of-state landowners, out-of-state monopolies, big banks, and the politicians in both parties that those entities purchase. We have allowed them to take from us what is ours, um, our land, our water, our tax breaks. Um, and uh, the answer to how you fix a place like West Virginia is you kick those people out uh, and uh, you build a state that works for everybody. Because when we're trying to make sure everybody lives with dignity, there's plenty. This, this ought to be in the wealthiest time in West Virginia history. We ought to have the best roads and schools, the highest wages we've ever had. We just have to stop giving everything we create away to people who don't respect it or us. What's driving that new economy? You know, because you do think of the classic, oh, West Virginia, coal money, you know, but that's obviously shifting and, and new economies pop up in unexpected places all, all the time. But what is it? You're saying why is it that uh, this is the wealthiest right. time in yeah, West what Virginia the, history? Is it a specific industry or is it just a behaviors or um, I think it's something that's happening all around the country that the um, uh, you know over time in a relatively stable democracy, GDP goes up. Uh, in West Virginia, um, you know, some of that looks like the continued wealth that gets made off of coal and natural gas. Uh, some of it uh, comes through retail and healthcare and agriculture. Some of it comes off of tourism. Um, but the problem is all of that wealth. Uh, gets distributed in a way that it leaves the state. It leaves the state through tax breaks, uh, through uh, literally leaving the state as coal or natural gas. And uh, as long as we're not keeping that wealth where it belongs and in the hands of poor and working people, uh, we're going to continue to have an economy where people have to work three jobs or start three businesses uh, instead of being able to live with dignity on one. What's your sort of economic development message? Things are in good – on the one hand, they're in 
a good place, but obviously that distribution element is not a good place at all, nationally speaking. So how do you bridge that gap to get you know, stakeholders in business, stakeholders in government, other parties you may have to deal with? How do you get people on board with this message? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's two different ways to build an economy. And uh, the first way uh, is to bend over backwards trying to woo out-of-state monopolies and out-of-state companies and landowners and uh, uh, you know, federal uh, projects and whatnot. Um, the other way to build an economy is uh, to do so in a way that puts local interests first. So small businesses, union shops, uh, farmers, artists, etc. The opportunity in America right now is that all 50 states are choosing the first strategy. Everybody is fighting for Amazon and nobody is fighting for uh small businesses in a serious way. No one is, no state is investing in small businesses and union shops and farmers and artists uh, and light manufacturing uh, in the way that they're investing in big, huge multinational corporations. So some state will be the first to flip it, to say, we're going to take the billion plus dollars a year that we're giving away in favorable land deals and, uh, corporate tax breaks and, uh, you know, a completely unbalanced personal income tax uh, and sales tax structure. We're going to take all of that wealth that we're giving away. uh, And instead of betting big on these outside interests, we're going to bet big locally. There's two ways to do that, right? If you want a strong local economy with middle-class jobs, the two ways you do that are infrastructure, investing, and then direct benefit, capital and uh, grants and tax breaks for uh, the engines of the local economy. Everyone knows, and every politician even has the talking point, that small businesses are how you create jobs and good jobs. But nobody's doing anything for them. Um, you know, the Democrats... Uh, uh, talk a good game, uh, but don't deliver. They're still in the pockets of corporations and sometimes unions. The Republicans are always in the pockets of corporations. Uh, and no one is looking after the person who's trying to make uh, a grocery store or a bike shop work on the day-to-day. Um, and whichever state is the first to flip it will create a competitive advantage. We'll create, um, uh, you know, an open for business sign on their state, but not open for big, huge multinational corporations to come and extract our wealth, but an open for business sign that if you want an economy that works for local communities, if you want an economy that produces middle class jobs, if you want a community that values the uh, uniqueness of small towns over the uniformity of big cities, this is a place to come. I mean, it's what we need here in Rhode Island. There's no question about it. One challenge we face is a little bit of parochialism, a lot of resistance to regionalization. You know, that's a New England thing. People love their their hometown. And, you know, there's a lot of issues in terms of just operating the government that come up in that area. In West Virginia, what kind of, you know, infrastructure do you have in place as far as fire departments or school departments, just as far as being able to enact a plan such as your broad plan and, and, and kind of hit the ground running. You know, there's not a lot of uh, redundancies. Yeah, so the, um, as with many parts of uh, the state and in, in many aspects of what we're doing, um, 
the problem is the same as the solution, right? So the problem in West Virginia is that uh, those public works, those local fire, fire departments, um, many of which are volunteer fire departments and volunteer EMS uh, throughout rural West Virginia, um, have been uh, choked for decades. Um, and it's one of these situations where the government keeps choking these uh, local uh, services and then blames those services when they aren't able to breathe. Right. Uh, and uh, that is horrible. It's disgusting, right, uh, to take people who are volunteering their time to risk their lives working sometimes 20, 30, 40 hours a week on top of their paid jobs. Uh, and then to treat those people with such little respect is horrible. It's also the opportunity of the moment that the government has so abandoned the people who basically make our society in West Virginia run that we're able to, and we have been able to, we will be able to even more so over the next year and a half, build a coalition of people who may have some different letters after their names or may have given up on politics a long time ago or may uh, come from very different parts of the state. But it's like, here's our chance to finally fund fill in the blank roads volunteer fire departments, schools, uh, waterways, broadband, to finally take care of ourselves and our neighbors in the way we know we needed to have for the last 20 or 30 years. That's how we bring a coalition of people together that can get more than 50% of the vote and start to completely flip who the state works for. That's something we're experiencing here in Rhode Island. Our the way our state constitution is set even after a constitutional convention in the 80s, the General Assembly has most of the power and the Speaker of the House is is really the most powerful person in the state and represents sort of the institutionalist Democrats in the state that would have an R next to their name in other places, that whole scenario. But what we saw in the last election was the expansion of progressive candidates getting elected into office and also in some cases some libertarian-leaning Republicans – getting elevated in terms of House leadership. And I've been looking for the moments where, and there have been some, where that sort of new wave Republican hands off, but, you know, in my opinion, not a jerk, you know, a meeting with the the progressives and sort of aligning in a new caucus against the institutionalists. That's kind of what you're going through. I'll tell you a story. No, it's absolutely right. Uh, So in West Virginia, Democrats held power for 82 years. Okay. And uh, until very recently, until 2014, uh, you know, West Virginia was one of five states that voted for Dukakis. Whoa. West Virginia is not <laughs> a conservative place. Uh, so all across West Virginia, there are people who've become Republicans. There are people who have even won local office as Republicans who are Republicans for the same reason I'm a Democrat, which is to get the good old boys out. And so uh, I'll give you – I'll tell a particular story. In Preston County, West Virginia, uh, there are two candidates that we're supporting uh, and helping for the same race. One of them reaches out to me about six months ago, someone I worked with in uh, the organization I used to run, and says, I'm thinking about running. You know, she's a single mom, uh, you know, right at the poverty line. Uh, she says, I'm a Republican. I want to run against uh, the Republican, uh, the do-nothing Republican in my district. And I said, sure, you know, I've worked with this woman my whole life. I know we share the same values. Um, I said, she says, is it okay? I'm a Republican. I said, sure. 
Um, and about three months later, another guy calls me from Preston County and he says, Hey, I'm an independent. I'm thinking of running as a Democrat for house of delegates, in Preston County. I said, Oh, uh, what district? He says 52. I was like, Oh, we've already got somebody. Um, I was like, why don't you guys talk to each other and see what you come up with? And so, uh, I see both of them about a month later and they come up to me and they're like, so we talked, we talked for like two hours and we've got a plan. And I said, well, what is it? They said, we're both going to announce our candidacies at the same time. We're going to campaign together. Whichever one of us wins, the other one will support. And the one who loses, the other one will support to run for state Senate the next time. What do you think? I was like, that's incredible. And what I, what's most heartening to me about it is not, they didn't uh, decide to do this out of some benevolent interest in bipartisanship, right? This isn't a cutesy kind of, uh, we're working together across the aisle. The reason they came together is because they have the same opponent, right? The opponent is... Uh, an establishment that has kept both of them and their families down for a long time. They happen to have two slightly different ways of uh, approaching how to get through it. They probably voted for different people in the last election. But when it comes time to uh, taking power from the good old boys in West Virginia, that a project that big, anytime in American history, and it doesn't happen very often, where you get the people in some fundamental way taking control of a government, it's always because some of these categories blurred uh, and where people found ways in and found ways to challenge the establishments of both parties and found new alliances that that's the only way this kind of thing is possible. And it's exciting to see. It's really exciting to imagine that could spread throughout the United States and around the world, really. Yeah, this kind of thing always starts in places like West Virginia. I'm, I get you haven't done this, and I appreciate it. Uh, but the question we get asked most often is, well, how is this possible in a place like West Virginia? Uh, and uh, the rest of the country looks down on us uh, because of the story that has been told about how poor we are and how backwards we are, uh, usually by people who don't live here, uh, and. Um, the only time this kind of change happens is when it starts in places like West Virginia or places like uh, the inner cities. Uh, the kind of change we want only comes when the people who are hurting the most are the ones at the lead. Uh, and so, yeah, we think this kind of thing actually can only happen in a place like West Virginia. And it's not just about uh, flipping a blue state that flipped to red back to blue. It's not... It's not this politics is sport stuff. It's what would it look like if a state government actually lived and breathed in the hands of its people? Um, it'd be pretty exciting. It'd be pretty exciting and pretty different than what it'd we be see. Pretty different. No question about it. My last question, just kind of your backstory. You're a native West Virginian, and uh, you know that's critical in my mind. You know, for running for for governor, senator, congressman. I mean, to me that. It's in your blood. I mean, some people would discount that, but that's a real thing. You you can feel something about your area that you represent in a way, and maybe we can't explain it. In, in the, the human brain can't process what that thing is that that takes us home. 
Yeah, like so um, uh, yeah, so West Virginia is number one in the nation in the amount of time we spend with our neighbors. We're in the top five in military service, volunteer service, measures of charitable giving, and time we spend with extended family. And so as much as we hear about all the things we're last at, when it comes to the things that make life worth living, we're pretty good. And that's the kind of family I grew up in. That's more or less what I've done as a, a living for the last 20 years. Um, I've worked on the side of poor and working people to try to get politicians to stop hurting people and uh, have had the chance to be a part of a lot of victories. And the organization I ran for the last uh, six years, we helped recruit and train and fund 300 rural community gardens and walking trails and after school programs and small businesses, we passed uh, more than 25 pieces of state legislation and state policy victories from raising the minimum wage to expanding school breakfast. But as long as we're on the outside looking in, we're going to lose more than we win. And that's unacceptable when, when, you, when my generation of kids, my wife and I have a seven and five year old, when, when our kids, uh, it is said, will be the first generation in West Virginia to not live as long as their parents, right? It's not enough to just work from the outside and try to keep things from getting worse. Um, and so the lesson that I learned in my work, that our movement has learned after years and years and years of going up to the Capitol and trying to get them to listen to us is that that's the wrong idea. Our job isn't to go up there and try to get them to listen to us. Our job is to go up there and replace them with us. And so that's a little bit of my story and why I'm running is that uh, I want to be a part of something that's um, not only interested in trying to keep things from getting worse, but actually imagining what it would look like in the wealthiest country in the wealthiest time in our history to have a society where everybody got to live with dignity. Uh, so that's a little of my background. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much for your time and best of luck. We'll certainly be monitoring this from, uh, from up here in Providence. Thanks for joining in on the Bartholomew town podcast. Listen anytime on your favorite app or Bartholomewtown.com. And I'll be back on Tuesday with brand new content until next time. I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.